All right, welcome back to Lindroth Hockey Podcast. We are in partnership with the Black and Gold Hockey Productions. You're here with one co-host today, myself, Andrew. My father's out on vacation right now. He's I'm actually jealous. He's visiting some family in San Jose, California, and catching a uh, San Jose Sharks and Bruins game, fifth row. Um, I'm really jealous. They like to rub it in my face sometime. But the show's got to go on. We didn't have an episode last week. So um, this week, we are back to our uh, regular uh schedule with our special guests and uh, today we have Chris Lindgren with us today so as a teenager Chris began developing the AJHL for three different clubs from 09 to 2012 and eventually committed to Concordia University of Alberta playing for their team until 2014 um, eventually he traveled to Germany overseas um, for a year and then played um, between the SPHL between the time period of 2018 and 2021 and also had a stint in the ECHL during that time in 2021, he joined the ECHL again for a year and even appeared on the AHL Utica Comets during the 21-22 season. Now he's traveled across the pond, but this time to join the Dundee Stars in the EIHL, who he currently plays for. So without further ado, please welcome our guest today, Chris. How are you today, my man? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Now, Chris, it's a pleasure having you on the show today. I know it's just me today, but uh, did the research. It should be fun, and I know Dundee Stars – uh, Dundee Stars fans will be excited to listen to the interview today from one of their uh, new players, new additions on the team. But Chris, I want to start from the beginning. So you played for what is called the AJHL, which maybe not too many Americans know this. Um, so go ahead and talk about the several years that you played in that league and maybe how it compares to, um, I don't know, maybe other junior leagues or USHL. I know you didn't play in those, but just for other audiences to get familiar with these kind of leagues. Yeah, so uh, the AJHL, it's a Tier 2 Junior League in Canada, so it's um, the route kids would take if they wanted to go Division 1 in the in the States there. So I know playing like Major Junior in the WHL or the OHL or the Quebec League that you can't get a scholarship out of those leagues. So kids play in, you know, the BCHL, which is British Columbia, the Alberta Leagues, every province has their own league. Um, so yeah, I did a few years there. I would say it's, it's really hard to compare, but from my understanding of things, I would say that major junior is kind of the top tier. And then you would maybe go a little bit of a step below to the USHL. And then you would have tier two in Canada, which would be, uh, right below the USHL there. So that's kind of my guesses with that, but yeah. So have you started to see uh, more players instead of just doing the big WHOHL and Q in the Q and just thinking that that's the other than if you go to the college route, that that's the only way to kind of break into um, a pro hockey career. Um, we're starting to see some some folks from the AJHL starting to make it up um, to the NHL level now. Um, do you think that for a lot of these young kids now, um, and I'm not familiar with it. I've never played competitive junior hockey. I've never played competitive hockey like that growing up. But um, would it almost be kind of worth it for some of them to maybe not spend the crazy money being in juniors? I imagine it's, of course, really expensive compared to maybe just sticking in a BCHL, AJHL. Do you have an opinion on that at all? Yeah. So, I mean, like the Alberta Junior League or the BCHL, you don't have to pay to play there. But same with the WHL or anything like that. Right. So it's all, everything's paid for you. So everything's covered. It's um, as far as like the WHL or major junior in Canada compared to NCAA, it's, it's tough because, you know, if you're good enough 
you think you're good enough, you're going to get more exposure in the major junior for, you know, NHL stuff like that. But maybe if you're a step behind and, and school is a big interest to you and you want to get, hopefully get a full ride scholarship, then call or then uh, the Alberta junior league or BCHL or something like that would be definitely something to work it, you know, look into. But um, then again, the Western league and the Quebec league and the Ontario league, they offer scholarships in Canada too. So it kind of every year you play. So it's a little bit of a double-edged sword, really. Like, especially when you're that age, you don't, you never really have, you don't know if you have the right guidance. You don't, you know, and um, you also don't really know how good you're going to be at that age. Like you're still, some guys are late bloomers, some guys are early bloomers and they top out. So, it's a bit of a juggling act. And if you can, you know, get someone in your corner that's been through it, that's, I guess would be the best way to go. Because I know when I first signed my first junior A, I, I guess you could call it contract or, or commitment. I didn't know anything. Right. And then I heard some Western league offers and um, I kind of just was always taught school, school, school. And I didn't even know the Western league offered school. So and I think for my style of play, especially back then, like I wasn't a college kid. I was I was mean back then and I would have done, I think, pretty well in the Western League. And it maybe would have taken me who knows where. But it's it's really a fine line. It's a bit of a juggling act. Yeah. So what was the pressure like then? Because, you know, as as your timeline goes after your time at the AJHL, you do commit to Concordia University of Alberta. Is there a lot of pressure at, in Canada in general for you guys that um, there's a push to be in a junior league, whether it is the major juniors or if it's a BCHL? Um, is there more pressure to do that than rather than going to school? I know obviously parents differ, but maybe just the pressure in that area. Yeah, I mean, it's um, transitioning from midget to junior is a huge, it's a big jump in hockey and I don't, I don't like to say it, but if you don't play, you know, in the Western league or tier two junior, the road kind of ends after that, right? Like you're stuck playing junior B and then, and that's fine. But after junior B, your options are very limited if you have any at all to keep playing. Right. So um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of pressure to make a, a tier two junior team or the Western league where I'm from, or if you're from out East, the, the O or the Q. So um, those years in between, in between uh, midget and junior are pretty, pretty important, pretty big ones. Yeah. So you had mentioned that your style of play too, was you were a mean defenseman and um, damn right. I mean, I think one, one season, I think it was your second or third season, AJHL, you got almost 300 penalty minutes and you eclipsed again over a hundred at one point. So when you did commit, to the university or Concordia University of Alberta, was it tough to transition your style knowing eventually that mean style is going to come back because you're going to have to play pro? Like what was kind of your thought process when you finally got in to that collegiate hockey circuit? Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, back then I, I didn't have a thought process. I didn't know. Right. I was so naive and, um, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but looking back, I, I do wish that maybe I, I considered going to the Western league and then right into pro. Right. Um, I think it would have helped my career a lot because in going from junior to college, you have four years where you can't fight the game's way different. 
So I did develop a lot more uh, of my skill set going to college, but then transitioning back into pro, it's tough. Like, like I think you mentioned, I had almost 300 penalty minutes. I think one year I had 24 fights. The next year, whatever. And I mean, you lose that just like you lose skill, right? Like I, I certainly don't mind mixing it up, but I was a sicko back then. And, yeah. you know, I would just be salivating if anyone came near me. And now it's like it, it, part of its age too. Right. But it's uh, yeah, it's tough to find that. Like you can, you definitely lose that. So I know that uh, you had mentioned earlier that uh, um, education was, was kind of more pushed on to you personally. So what did lead to your decision to not only committing to uh, college hockey in general, but to Concordia University of Alberta? Did you have other offers? Was this just the one you've always wanted to go to? Yeah, it's, um, I think kind of my generation, you were always pushed towards school. You know, I think it's like every parent's dream when you're younger to get your schooling paid for if hockey can do that then that's amazing and you can't that's something you can't really walk away from um I think maybe now in today's day and age at least back home you know schools people are a little bit more progressive when it comes to school and maybe don't push it as much as they used to but I know back when I was growing up that was a huge thing and I mean I'm very lucky and and happy that I could get my schooling paid for for my parents because I know how much that they give to hockey players right like it's a crazy expensive sport and getting up at six in the morning for practices when you're a kid and driving you all over the country or flying to tournaments wherever it might be so I'm super glad I got to do that and get that done but um you know hindsight again not sure maybe it was the best for me but you'll never know so uh According to some sites, um, we try to not go by elite prospects as much as some of our um, longtime fans know that there's been some misinformation on there. But it looked like that there was almost a break after two years at Concordia University um, until you went to Germany. So between 2014, 2017, I know it's on your elite prospects page, but can you kind of fill us in during that time where you're at and kind of and then eventually how we ended up in Germany? Uh, yeah, so. I guess what year would that have been 14, I think 16 to 17. So I, right after those two Concordia years, I transferred over to uh, Northern Alberta Institute of technology. It's another school um, in Alberta. And that was just purely a hockey decision. Um, they were kind of, you know, the big club in the league back then. I, they still are, but um I just, yeah, transitioned to a, a better place to play hockey. I thought it was going to be a good fit for me. They were, you know, top of the league every year, winning pretty much every year, if not like finals for sure, pretty well. So, yeah, I made that transition there. So I went to uh, Nate for two years. The two years I was there, we ended up winning um, both championships. And we, uh, one of the years we went undefeated. So we had a, crazy good team like maybe still one of the best teams I've ever played on we had a bunch of ex-pros that came in so it was a unbelievable experience I can't speak enough about that place like I loved my time there um got through school learned a lot so that was good and then so coming from Nate after I graduated I actually played a year in France 
Um, so I did a year in France. That was <laughs> so-so. It was what it was, but um, it was weird playing so little hockey games and having so much time and, and um, like practic practicing like it was college and stuff like that. So that was its own experience. There's tons of stories about that place. And then um, from there, I transitioned and came back. I signed in Jacksonville. That ended up not working out. I played a game, I think, in the SP, and then I uh, ended up taking a job in Germany. So then I ended up in Germany from there. So before we get to the Germany part, I do want to ask this question, so if you had mentioned a transfer, you know, somebody that hasn't played um, college athletics or anything, you know, I never heard of too many players or students getting transferred over to different schools, play for different teams. Normally I thought it was once you commit, you commit. But we see it a lot now, especially in football. I mean, the transfer portal is this huge thing now. What what was your process like going through the transfer portal? Was that, I assume you said it was more of a hockey decision. It was on you. But, like, did you have to try out for the team? Were they already talking to your coach or your agent? I, I don't know who it would be, but to say, hey, we want Chris to come over here. How did that happen, and how does that work? Uh, yeah, so at that point, like, I didn't have an agent and – as far as I know, there was no communication between the two coaches. Um, it was a team that was trying to commit me before I made my decision to go to Concordia. Um, and then I, I knew some guys on the team and I don't know, even really know if I should say this, but we ended up losing out to them the year before I went there and we were shaking hands and the coach had mentioned like, Hey, if you're looking for a change, give me a call. So um, I ended up calling him and, they kind of worked it out and did it all for me. I didn't really have to do too much. So they just, I told them that I was interested in going there and then they set up transferring over everything and, and all that. And the rest was kind of history. Awesome. So you said you were in France. I assume that was right before Germany. Um, yeah. So after the France thing, you said it wasn't um, too great of an experience. So what made you want to stay overseas instead of coming over and starting in the S and the ECHL and things like that? Yeah, so after my year in France, um, you know, I can't say it was a bad experience. The hockey kind of just wasn't really what I expected it to be. Um, but again, super something. Sorry. So you had mentioned that like the games weren't like there weren't a ton of games, too much time in between. Was it like just a lot of games spursed out? Like only yeah, yeah. So we only played on weekends, similar to this league, but I think the schedule was only like. 30 games or something like that um and so you know that's great in college because you're a full-time student too right you need a ton of time but as a pro it's tough because you're you know you're playing on a friday saturday or maybe just once on a weekend and then you practice six, five times before your next game and um you know those practices they kind of get they get repetitive and, and whatever, but just, it was more so kind of the level I think I would say of hockey. I wasn't really expecting, but super grateful and, and can't say enough bad about, you know, the organization. They were great, great organization, treated you great. Um, and I got to see, you know, a lot of France while I was there. So. So I assume uh, very similar with all the European style hockey rinks and leagues over there. <clears throat> did you guys have the bigger ice? And if you did, was it really tough to transition coming from Canada playing in the AJHL and ACAC? 
Um, it was a little bit different coming from ACAC, but in junior, um, where I played in Calgary. So it was my first year we were the Calgary Royals and then we just transitioned names to the Calgary Mustangs. Um, so I was with the same club, but we played on an Olympic ice in Calgary. So it was something I was fairly familiar with. I, I know I hadn't played there in, you know, four years of school, but it was something I was familiar with. And, um, yeah, it's a little bit, it's definitely different, but I've kind of got through hockey with, um, you know, positionally and, and kind of being a smarter guy. So I don't find the, the uh, transition to be too tough at all. So after your time in Germany, you end up back in the States the following year, if I'm not mistaken, and you begin to work your way up in the North American hockey circuit, starting the SPHL, which a lot of hockey fans have started to hear a lot more about this league, especially in transactions, um, especially during the COVID time when they needed players. A lot of guys were getting recalled up. And I remember a lot of people starting to look in, you know, to rosters in the SPHL and getting familiar with that. And this was kind of during that time, right? 2019, 2020. I don't know if you had fallen right during that COVID time, but um, talk to us about that league and your experience playing there. And then obviously we know, I believe it was during that same season you end up getting um, brought up to the ECHL, I believe. So what was that uh, league like in comparing it to the ECHL or even overseas as well? Yeah. I mean, every league is so much different. It's, it's crazy. It's like a whole different world, but it's uh, I know historically it's been kind of pegged as, you know, such a so-so league it's hard. I don't want to talk down on it, but it's been pegged as not a great league. And um, you, you know what? There's some really good players down there. And you kind of um, just like anywhere at pro hockey, you get guys that are down there that probably shouldn't be down there that should get up that never got their chance or they get comfortable. Right. Like at the end of the day, we're all humans with a job. And if you end up in, you know, whatever city it is and, you love it there. Why would you switch for somewhere where, you know, maybe you're going to be on the bench or maybe you're getting yelled at every other day or you don't fit into the system so much, but guys get comfortable. And, and uh, a lot of times they just don't want to leave either. Right. So um, I can't say enough good things about it. I think it gets looked down on, which maybe isn't so fair, but there's definitely a lot of good players down there in that league, especially my era and later. Right. I know it was quite a bit tougher league back before I, I uh, ended up playing there, but it was kind of a, a bit of a gong show from my understanding. But definitely as hockey's progressed, it's gotten to be a, a lot better league. But um, as far as differences from there to like the ECHL, I would just say like more than anything, the conversion rate. Okay. So when I say that, I mean like, if you make a mistake in say the Southern pro league, there's maybe like a 25% chance that it ends up in the back of your net. You jump up to the coast, you make a bad mistake in the coast. You know, maybe there's a 50% chance that that ends up in the back of your net. Now you make us, you go up to the American league, 75% of the time that's going to be in the back of your net and then even higher once you get to the NHL. So it's just uh, the limit of mistakes really. Right. So guys are so skilled once you move up a level that it's going to end up in the back of your net that much more. So I would say that's the biggest difference to me. So during that time, then 2019 going to 2020 season, 
everybody knows COVID hits, shuts down the world, but um, pro sports in some areas still trying to um, have a season going and everything. I like to ask this question now because it really gives uh, the fans um, an inside scoop of the um, humanizing the pro athletes in that uh, you guys probably struggled too, not knowing where the hell am I going next? What team am I going to play for? I need to make money. Do I get another job knowing that this thing could end in a week or two? You know, when it first happened, it was all very up in the air. So during that time when that was happening, was there any worries that, oh, maybe I won't have a job? Was it kind of like, I don't even know if I want to do this now because of the uncertainty? I mean, I, I bet that was pretty difficult to kind of navigate and deal with. Yeah, it's it was crazy. I mean, I was so I was in Jacksonville in the ECHL when it first hit. And, you know, we got pushed to go home because it was so new. No one knew anything. And they just said, go home, leave like tonight or tomorrow. So they rushed us home. and you know, initially everyone kind of thought, you know, it was going to pass quick. It was going to pass quick. And another month goes on, another month goes on. And then it's like, all right, well, it's time to start looking for next year. And you didn't know if the ECHL was going to have a season or not. There was teams saying they were playing that weren't playing. I think only half the league ended up playing that year. Um. Yeah, so the times were crazy. Like, I know numerous, numerous guys that kind of got forced or pushed into retirement from that. Um, and it, it was tough on a lot of guys. And guys that did end up not getting pushed into retirement, you know, everyone was taking pay cuts because there was a million players out there looking for jobs, right? And so I kind of compare it to, like, a lockout year. There, It was like the ECHL was just filled with – with American league guys because they were getting pushed out of jobs. So I know for me, I was signed, signed back with uh, Jacksonville uh, was expecting to go there. And then all of a sudden Jacksonville was getting more and more guys handed down to them from Winnipeg. And so they were letting go of guys throughout the whole summer. And I know for me, um, coach called me the day before I was, he wanted me to drive down because there was never enough vehicles down there with guys. So, the day before I was supposed to leave, I was all packed up and he called me and he says, Hey, I'm sorry, but Manitoba just called me and I got seven contracted guys coming down. So he's like, I want you to come still, but I just want to be honest with you. So when that happened, I kind of didn't, I didn't have a backup plan at that point. Um, so, and I didn't have enough time to figure it out. So I went down, flew down and, you know, sure enough, kind of didn't end up playing there for the year, of course. So, um, I didn't know what I was going to do, but then a bunch of SP teams started calling and uh, I figured, you know, with the current economy, with COVID and stuff going on, even if I wanted to retire, there's no guarantee of getting a job anywhere back home. So I might as well just go play. So I ended up in um, Birmingham, Alabama that year. So. So not to make it a personal question at all, but again, just to bring it to like the background for you guys and what, you guys as pro athletes were going through when you got that notification go home don't come back for a while were they still paying you guys or were you just shit out of luck yeah so we were shit out of luck um so we got sent home and you know all of a sudden there's no more money coming in and i know for me it wasn't so bad but there's a lot of guys with families right with kids and yeah. wives so it was uh 
yeah, it was a scary time for a lot of people because they didn't know how they were going to eat or survive or all of a sudden they don't even have a house anymore because they're used to having their house supplied to them, right? So they're moving, packing up their vehicle and moving across the country and figuring out where they're going to live with no paycheck and how they're going to feed their kid and their wife. So there was a lot of guys that were pretty scared. I know, um, I, I don't know if you're familiar with like the spit and chicklets podcast, but biz nasty kind of got a big, uh, I guess kind of a GoFundMe version going for, uh, ECHL players that were on contract because we're, we have the PA, uh, the PHPA that's kind of supposed to help take care of that and make sure we get paid. So they were in battles with the league to see what kind of mediation they could do with getting us some money back. But Biz Nasty kind of got the ball rolling with setting up a fund for us. So it kind of, I can't remember how they worked it out, but um, I remember we had to send in kind of like our monthly expenses and how much it was costing guys so guys that had families and stuff kind of got taken care of first and and seniority kind of thing from what i remember which is great that's how it should be um and then you know so everyone did end up getting a little bit of money but like i can't even remember what i got but i want to say it wasn't even a paycheck but you know at that point uh <laughs> we weren't at that point we kind of was we're all hope was lost because owners didn't want to buck up because we weren't paying and they didn't have anyone coming in the door to watch right so it was uh all falling upon deaf ears and then you know someone came and we got a little bit of a kickback but i can actually yeah i can't remember how much it is but i i want to say that it, i ended up seeing less than a weekly paycheck out of it but you know it took uh someone like paul bissonette to step up and and really get the ball rolling and I know a lot of the donors were NHL guys and stuff like that. So everyone was kind of kicking in to help out, but yeah, it was a crazy time for sure. So following that uh, crazy time and everything, um, if I've got everything correct with timeline, 2021, 2022 season, um, I believe, I believe you started in the SPHL and then you made your way up, you played in the ECHL and then you got even called up for a game in the AHL to Utica comments. I'm sure that year was crazy. Um, finally just getting projected all the way up to there to the American League. Kind of talk to us about that experience and maybe what your first uh, game was like in the AHL. Were there any um, huge differences that you noticed personally, maybe even not just the game-wise, but like the locker room, the buses even? I mean, what was kind of your experience? Yeah, so that year I actually I started in Adirondack and finished there. I thought I was – going to be retired I ended up coming out of retirement and um, I was building or renovating my house back home and I ended up selling it so Adirondack was nice enough to kind of let me come into camp a little bit late because I, I didn't have intentions of playing that year um, so I showed up a little bit late ended up hopping in there and getting into the swing of things they got me helped me get me into shape but um, yeah then I ended up getting called up to the American League that year which was pretty crazy and an unbelievable experience that you know I'm happy that I can tip my hat on that kind of a you know a tier two Canadian junior guy that went to Canadian school and started at the SP and clawed his way up so pretty cool for me um as far as being there the level of play is there's just 
everyone's so good everyone's so smart so like you could for me it was so much easier because you could make a play with your eyes closed you just knew your guy was going to be there right so um i'm kind of especially as i get a little bit older i'm a breakout first pass steady eddie so i just found it so much easier it was so easy to me um so i yeah i thought the transition was as was pretty easy but um, as far as the buses and stuff, it was crazy. So I got called up and they were in Cleveland. So I had to meet the team in Cleveland. So I drove myself from Adirondack to Cleveland, had to get COVID tested to be able to play. And then from there, it was Christmas break. So I ended up driving back home to uh, Adirondack. So I missed all the buses and and stuff like that. Gotcha. So now after that time, um, you had ended up, we had talked off air. Um, you're now going to be in the EIHL at this point for this current time period. You said you didn't sign until November. So um, for our Dundee Stars fans, let's kind of talk about that and how you ended up over there. And I know you had mentioned you had almost thought about retirement again as well. So what made you not want to retire? I mean, I know that, um, again, we don't need figures or anything, but we know a lot of guys that if they're done with the North American League, they're like, if you want to still play, um, especially uh, leagues like EIHL, they pay a lot better. Um, the fans are awesome as well. I'm not saying the fans are here or bad in North America, but I hear that sometimes for guys, um, it's just a lot better change of scenery to go over there. What's What, what led to your decision even, first of all, um, to accept going over there um, just a few months ago? Yeah, so I guess – it kind of ties in. So back before the year in Adirondack, um, I'd bought a house and I fully planned on being done and I ended up renovating it and the housing market just was crazy at home. So I uh, ended up selling the house and I was like, oh shit, well now what? So I ended up taking that deal with Adirondack. I figured I might as well go collect a paycheck again. Um, and then this summer I actually kind of got into the home building thing stemming off of that last spot so i had bought um a couple plots of land to start building some and just being a home builder um i was going to run my own business and build homes and just sell them but it was brand new development so the land wasn't ready and i was waiting for it all summer and i just kept hearing yeah it'll be ready in a month a month a month so it got to uh the point where there was snow on the ground and I figured even if it was another month, I don't want to start digging in, you know, in the snow and frozen ground, like the cost of building would just double. Right. So I said, well, it's time to maybe think about playing hockey for another year and, and uh, see what's going on with these houses when I get back, if that's going to be a thing or not. So yeah, kind of just my plans for life after hockey weren't ready yet. So that's uh, what brought me back here. So do you think, uh, I mean, I don't want you to say on the podcast for sure. I'm sure your mind has been made up yet. You're just going with the flow of things. But uh, I mean, I assume you're having a good time now um, in Dundee, um, which by the way, is that Scott, Scotland? Is that it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Scotland. So is this maybe like, if you enjoy your time there, you might stay there another season or is this kind of like, I'm just going to play through the season, see what happens with the home stuff and kind of go from there. Or do you not know yet? Yeah. You know what? I, I don't really know yet. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, 
obviously I've had trouble retiring in the past. Right. So you just never know, but hockey's like, you know, I started skating when I was two, I've been playing professionally for, I don't know, eight or however many years it's been. And it's funny cause you just, it's so much of your identity. Right. So when you go to retire, you're kind of a little bit lost. Like you just don't even know what's going on. And, and uh, it's tough to let go of, you know, and then you just get so used to, you know, I guess you can call it the culture of it or whatever, but just being around, you know, 20 of your buddies every day and going for dinners with them, going for lunch and, and being on the road and going to war with everyone. So it's, <laughs> I've tried twice and haven't been able to do it, but it's damn hard to let go of. So as far as next year, time will tell. I have no clue. We'll see what happens, but uh, I'm kind of just, I'm here and I'm doing the best I can. And hopefully I can help this team start winning a little bit more. So before we get into the last part of our interview, which is our lightning round questions, um, just for the fans, because the fans over there are crazy. I don't even think it matters which team you're playing for, especially in the EIHL. We've heard that the fan bases are very loyal. They're awesome. It's why we love them over there too. Would love to go over there for a game sometime. Um, for the fans, give us some of your favorite things so far about playing and living in Dundee so far. Yeah, well, as far as living, um, I know the ownership here set us up with great places to live. So that's off the bat, just been great. Um, and then living, it's uh, Dundee's, you know, it's a smaller size city. So it's nice, you know, you, you have everything you need but you're not overwhelmed. So it's, it's the perfect size city. And then as far as our fan base they're yeah, they're crazy. They're loyal as hell. And they let us know when they're not happy, which all the power to them. Right. But um, you know, they show up. I mean, we just played Glasgow on the road and I think we had, I couldn't even tell you how many, but there was a couple buses that went up there too. And they were standing outside of our bus cheering when we got, when we were loading up to take off. So it's, uh, they're loyal, they're loud and they're proud. Yeah. The Americans don't do that for the ECHL teams. We're not waiting outside buses too often. <laughs> no. And it's pretty rare that you have uh, fan buses going to away games too. So I thought that was just in slap shot, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> so Chris going into uh, last part of this man, lightning round. So these are like quick popcorn type questions. Um, if you have a story, feel free. If it's a name, one single word answer, it's all up to you. The time is for you. Um, first question, who is or was the toughest goalie for you and your team to score on in your career so far? Oh, shit. Um, geez, I don't even know if I'm going to have an answer for this one. I know that uh, when I was in – when I was in Jacksonville, we always had hell of a games with uh, Florida Everglades, and they always had unbelievable goaltenders. You know, it was the ECHL, so they were kind of – you always had someone else, but they they were getting guys from the American League that were always just brick walls. Awesome. Number two, do you have any pregame superstitions or rituals? Yeah, I used to. I've kind of gotten away from it. Uh, it's just – it's a lot. So it makes you go crazy, but now it's just, if I play good, I'll do the same thing. So if I have steak, vegetables and rice for 
pregame meal and I have a good game, then the next day I'm having steak, vegetables, and rice. So that's about it. And then uh, I always put like the right side of my gear on first. So awesome. Yeah. So right skate, left skate, right shin pad. So. Oh yeah. So I'm going to consider this question will just be considered for your pro career. You can even include the Southern professional league, but we'll leave college and the AJHL out. Which arenas had the worst ice conditions so far? Oh boy. Um, We hear the Florida, Florida is normally pretty bad. I heard. Definitely down in Florida. I know I was in uh, Jacksonville their inaugural year and I think their humidifier was broken at the start of the year. So, the roof was dripping and you'd get these little teepees on on the ice. So you could send a flat pass down the ice and all of a sudden it might end up at your head or something. So it was pretty bad there. Florida, uh, Pensacola was also pretty bad, but yeah, probably somewhere down in Florida. Who had the worst locker rooms? As far as away teams go. um, Oh, I'm going to go with, this is tough. I've been in so many damn locker rooms. Uh, shit. Do you have any Danbury trasher moments where you like, there's no toilet paper or you guys are all sitting on stools. Like this is kind of bullshit. Anything crazy. Yeah. You kind of get that a little bit all the time. So I was playing against Huntsville and they were getting, uh, they were renovating their away team locker room. So we were in like three different, like, makeshift rooms it was a i mean i'm sure it was the best they could do with this with the space that they had but it was a bit of a shit show um yeah as far as yeah i would say that was probably the worst one i could say there's a couple tough ones here but i won't out anyone so who was the toughest player so far you've had to play against and i don't mean fighting wise we'll get to that in a second but as a defenseman, who could you not move out in front of the net? Who was just one of the strongest guys you played against? Um, this season or just all time? All time. We'll consider pro. Okay. Uh, yeah, there's – I would say they got this big guy on Florida, Nuber. If he parked himself in front of the net, you weren't moving him. He had to have been 260 pounds or something like that. He was a big boy. Also, this kid that I fought in uh, Peoria, Dion, he is a monster. He's like six foot seven, 260 pounds. You couldn't move him too much either. So they were two big boys as far as moving. Toughest player that you had to fight? Um, did anybody ring your bell at all? Or did you always do pretty well? I usually did pretty good. I got my bell rung against that Dion guy. No one yeah kind of decided to let me know he was a lefty so he caught me with a pretty clean left I actually thought my eyeball fell out of my face so that one wasn't too great but um yeah he was tough I fought this kid another guy on that team uh rule of vicious he had a head like a bowling ball I hit him with everything I had and he didn't he couldn't budge him so he could take it pretty well and he gave it back pretty good too and then uh Back in junior, I fought this kid, Lucas Grundy, who ended up fighting in the Quebec Major League for a bunch of years. So he was also a tough kid. I would say those are the three toughest guys that, you know, put up pretty good fights. What is the most embarrassing thing to happen to you during a game or warm-up? Did you trip over the blue line or anything like that? <laughs> 
Oh, that's tough. Um, I'm sure I've fallen in warm-ups at some point. You you get fined for doing that, so you got to put money on the board if you do that. I can't remember a specific time. Um, geez, I just had something too. But yeah, as far as warm-ups, that's about it. I'm sure I've scored on my own goalies sometime in my career. That happens to everyone. I think I haven't done it in pro, luckily. So knock on wood that that never happens. Um, but that's obviously super always embarrassing. That's awful. But um, so I know yeah, no. would like me to ask this question because he always likes to ask this follow up. If you ever score on your own net, or if a teammate does, what do the guys do on the bench? Because it's just like you know what happened. There's nothing you can do, but like they got to give you shit for it, right? You got to buy everybody yeah. a beer after the game. Those are tough. It kind of depends on the situation. If it's a close game and, you know, maybe you lose off of something like that, you're generally just going to leave the, the guy alone, you know, give him a couple positive words. Cause it does almost happen to everyone. And obviously he didn't mean to mean to do it. Um, so you'll, you know, you'll leave him alone for a little bit. He'll end up getting it, but you got to let him calm down first. So maybe in a week or two, you end up giving it to them about it. But um, other than that, if it's something that, you know, usually they're pretty important goals, like any pro, especially goals are tough to come by. So if it ever happens, usually it's, it's a detrimental part of the game. So you let them sleep on it a little bit and then you end up, I mean, I give it to everyone. So you end up giving it to them pretty good, but you let it kind of calm down before you do that. So I know this last question is a bit, uh, general question, but just the first thing that pops up in your mind when I ask, what has been the most fond memory of your hockey career so far? Oh, that's tough. That's really tough. Um, to name a few, I guess, would just be, you know, that undefeated season in, in college was unbelievable. I don't know. You know, a lot of guys can say they won things, but I don't know anyone else that can say they went through a season and never lost a game. So right. that was uh, pretty just unbelievable. Um, something I'll definitely never forget, especially all those guys that we did that with. Um, and then other than that, it's just been, you know, my whole career, I've been super, super lucky to have the career that I've had and, and been able to travel the world and play in places like France, Scotland, Germany, all over the States. So I'm pretty well traveled and, and hockey's been able to give that to me. So awesome. yeah, I would say all of the above. Awesome. Well, Chris, I'll, I'll officially say goodbye off air after I pause it, but officially on air for the fans and everybody listening today, we appreciate you coming on. We wish you the best the rest of the season with Dundee, hopefully for the love of hockey that uh, we get to see you and follow you play another season or so, but um, either way, I'm sure you'll be successful in, in whatever you do. So, again, thank you for coming on and taking your time today, man. Hey, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. All right. So there it is, Chris Lidgman. I'm, I'm sure I'm butchering the hell out of that name, but uh, normally I'm here to recap with my father. So it's just me today, and I'll make it short and quick. Um, great guy. Um, he's definitely had quite the uh, pro career so far. Excellent uh, guy to talk to as well. Um, funny how he wanted to retire a few times, yet uh, more opportunities came knocking. So I guess sometimes for some of those younger guys playing pro hockey, if you're thinking it's not going your way or for whatever reason, 
um, you never know. Keep your options open and always be, um, while you're young and in shape, I imagine continue to train, continue to do your thing because uh, look at Chris and I'm sure he's, uh, you know, we're not here to talk money and get personal things, but I'm sure he's making um, more money now than he has playing pro before overseas. And that's a good opportunity for him, um, especially as you heard him while he's waiting on um, his own business to take off. So um, this will be released on Friday. We recorded this on Wednesday, which is what the fourth. Um, so this will be posted on the sixth. Um, we do have Brent Walton coming on the show, which I know a lot of people are excited. They listen to his podcast trails from um, hockey as well. So um, it'll be great to have him on, have him talk about his career, um, have him talk about his podcast as well. And uh, we're going to be back on a normal schedule um, for 2023 for our fans and for ourselves for the podcast. If you guys have any suggestions for the show, um, any guests that you think we should reach out to even, um, you know that we do all of our own freelance work of trying to get a hold of these guys. We do a lot of research and work to try and book these guys, contacting them and all these different things. So let us know if there's somebody in mind that you have. Um, please don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify. Go check out our, our website, lindrothhockeypodcast.com. Um, we're going to be having some free shirt giveaways here pretty soon as well. We want uh, everybody to be kind of repping that. We wanted to do it uh, more for Christmas time uh, for our fans to kind of give out for free. But unfortunately, we didn't have the time. It has been a very, very busy December for us uh, personally. So um, we're excited. We hope everybody has had a wonderful holidays, Hanukkah, Christmas, New Year's, whatever you celebrate. We hope that either way you're able to spend some time relaxing with your family, friends, and uh, we appreciate, again, everybody tuning in today. Um, Dad, we, I missed you today, my man. And uh, I will be solo again um, on Fridays when we're going to record the Brent podcast. Now you guys kind of have an idea of when we're recording certain things and releasing it. Um, but I'd like to kind of keep it on a weekly schedule basis for now until we get it uh, more scheduled up. But Brent Walton will be on and uh, he'll be featured on next week. So I know a lot of fans are excited. For that, we might post it earlier if there's a lot of fans that uh, I, I guess word got leaked out. I don't even know if we've told anybody, but we saw some tweets um, that people are excited to have uh, have them on the show. So we may have to release it early. Um, but either way, I don't want to take up too much more of anybody's time. We thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, we hope everybody continues to have a wonderful rest of the start to this new year. Thank you guys for tuning in today.